0: Hello and welcome to Talking Scared. I'm your host, Neil McRobert, and it's that time of year again. A time to reflect, to look back over a tumultuous 12 months, and to talk in depth about the horror books that have helped us survive them. Now, 2022 has been a hell of a year for the good kind of horror. Far too much for one man to cover alone. So I've drafted in some highly qualified friends. Emily Hughes and Janelle Jansen. Now, they both introduced themselves in the conversation, but I'll just say now that they both have their finger right on the arterial spurt of the genre, and they've each read far more than me this year. Together, we deliver the now annual State of the Horror Nation, talking about the big issues in horror, the key books we've adored, and the dozens and dozens of titles that we're looking forward to in 2023. We also raise a glass to a late horror icon. We make some New Year's resolutions. And Janelle and Emily get a bit squeaky about their big horror crush. I bet you can guess who. (laughs) Remember, as ever, if you want more Talking Scared, there's loads of bonus stuff available via Patreon subscription. And it also helps keep this show financially manageable for me. Just go to patreon.com slash talking scared pod or use the link in the show notes. Thanks a million, and consider that the best gift you could give. But now, come with me, Emily, and Janelle, to your favourite bookshop. Fill your basket, and see out this year in style. Let's talk scared. Well, hello, Emily and Janelle. How are you both doing today?
1: good good thanks for having me wonderful can't complain
0: i i can it's freezing here it's so cold (laughs) can and will my shampoo froze well half froze like what kind of went waxy in the bathroom last night inside my house yeah that's that's the level we've hit over here we can't afford to put the heating on i've got this tiny little heater next to my desk chair that my dog lies in front of it's like it's like the 1920s. It's like the, like the depression in the UK oh, right now. So I'm so sorry. Yeah. Am, am I right in thinking that you guys are on either side of the United States right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm in California. So it's not that cold. <laughs> and I'm in
2: Massachusetts. It's been pretty temperate here. You know, it hasn't it hasn't really, you know, we haven't had a snow yet or anything like that. But uh, the heating situation over here is not great either. You know, I it, I just paid, I think, double what I paid two years ago to fill up our heating oil tank.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We could just look at Janelle with real envy and,
1: <laughs> and slight
0: discontent. But anyway, that 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 ever so standard British weather update done with. Welcome one and all to what is now, I think, an annual fixture in the Talking Scared calendar, the state of the horror nation. We um, did it twice in 2021 with yourself, Emily, and and Sadie Hartman. Mm -hmm. And this year, there were just too many authors to fit into the summer schedule. So I've, I've settled for one big debrief here at the end of the year. So Sadie, understandably, is very busy. Yeah. She's now running a publishing imprint and writing her own book. And by her own admission, she hasn't had the time to to cast an eye or read enough this year. But someone who definitely does read enough is Janelle Jansen, a.k.a. She Reads With Cats, who has kindly (laughs) stepped in. So, Janelle, would you like to introduce yourself to the Talking Scared listeners?
1: Hi, um, I am She Reads With Cats on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, but without the I. Uh, I actually, I'm a staff writer for Dark Matter Magazine and Scream contributor to Cemetery Dance and Back in the Day Tour Nightfire. I run Instagram accounts for Thunderstorm Books and Earthling Publications, so follow them. And I've been a guest twice on the Losers Club podcast, which I'm super proud of because Stephen King was on that. And. Um, let me see. Oh, a member of the Horror Writers Association. I think I got it all.
0: <laughs> That's quite the resume, particularly the Losers Club. They ha- they had me on want on a Patreon and I keep kind of oh, yeah? awkwardly asking to come back on. And they keep <laughs> keep just artfully not responding to me. So the fact that you've been on there twice is quite the kudos but yeah welcome to the show and and thank you for doing this i really do appreciate it
1: well i this is surreal to me i i feel like i'm in some sort of dream and then i have like two people that i really admire just randomly in it talking to me (laughs) like it's so weird but i'm super excited to be here
0: well thank you let's hope it doesn't become nightmarish
1: no no i'm a huge fan well
0: thank you and you're very you're very supportive on tiktok and all of that stuff as well which is really nice because you know when it comes to tiktok i need all the help i can get um (laughs) Uh, me too emily most of my listeners know who you are by now uh but on the off chance that we have people who who don't um introduce yourself tell us what you've got going on
2: Absolutely. Well, uh first of all, it's wonderful to be back. Uh thank you for having me again, Neil. My name is Emily Hughes. I have been the site editor for tournightfire.com for the last 3 years. Um I do some horror coverage elsewhere. I've been writing for Vulture at New York Magazine and uh do some writing for tour.com on occasion. I have a a mostly dead newsletter that, you know, may get resurrected. Uh, in proper horror fashion one of these days. But I did have a little bit of an announcement I wanted to make for some of your listeners, Neil, um, which is that I'm actually going to be leaving Tor Nightfire at the end of this year, which is entirely my own choice. They've been wonderful about it. They're really just the best team of people I could have asked to work with these last three years. Um, you know, with a pandemic and you know global upheaval and and the you know everything going on, <laughs> uh, they've been a real source of comfort for me. Um, I will miss them immensely, but it is time for me to pursue some of my own projects, take some breathing room. Um, I haven't actually had a chance as an adult to really just do nothing for a little bit, um, so I'm going to be doing uh, as close to nothing <laughs> as I can for <laughs> for a little while. But Neil, I know that you have been uh, just so, so kind about one of my projects on Tor Nightfire. I maintain this big annual running list of new horror releases. And the kind folks I work with have said, yes, of course, you can take that with you. So I will be continuing to maintain that list. It'll just live on my own site, which I'm in the process of getting set up. And I think by the time this episode is out in the world it should be you know launched and, and ready to visit and i'll still be writing for you know various freelance outlets and working on some of my own writing and you know uh, we'll we'll see what comes
0: well yeah i mean great news if it's you know your own choice and and this this podcast came from me quitting my job without <laughs> any real plan in mind so um you know good things come from from not working for a while so yeah congrats to you
1: wonderful thank you congratulations
0: I'm only saying congrats because you carry on the list. If you didn't carry on the list, yes. I'd have held your hostage, basically <laughs> made you stay at all. So, yeah, I, I can't do this job w- without that. So, yeah, that's a non-negotiable thing. But no, that's that's great news, and I hope I hope whatever comes next is great. I'm, I'm sure it will be. Thank like, you. Please don't start a podcast and take all of my listeners away.
2: <laughs> I promise. <Yeah. laughs> I can promise you, I won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, congratulations. Well, and thanks to both of you for, for being here because I I do talk a lot every year and i i get sick of the sound of my own voice and i do a whole like my favorite books of the year mini episode that follows this but this is the one where i i really get to look back over the year and and talk about all the stuff that's been great about it and and if it was just me talking for like the best part of 2 hours that would be unbearable for everyone concerned particularly as i'm probably the person who's read by far the least of the three of us. So yeah, your presence is is gratefully received. <laughs> I think everyone knows the drill with these episodes. The the drill being that we we sit back with our jet black blood smeared Santa hats on and we have a big old chat about the state of the horror genre. Mostly books, this being talking scared after all. Um these episodes do tend to become quite mammoth affairs, so let's see how it goes. The centerpiece of this is our list of beloved books from 2022 but before we get to that let's start with you know a general conversation about the year how do you think it's measured up to a typical year in horror if if there is such a thing what struck you as noteworthy about 2022 if we start with you Emily
2: well you know i think that we've just continued to see the genre grow and grow and grow as it has over the last few years. And I'm really, really thrilled about that. You know, when I started running that annual list, I think the first year we had something like, I don't know, 150 titles. And, you know, now it's what early December and for 2023, I think I'm already close to 200. And, you know, they haven't even announced mm-hmm. a lot of what's coming out in the second half of next year. Um and I'm just really thrilled to see. So, you know, for for su- such a long time, horror books were getting published by you know big five uh, publishers, but they were they weren't really calling them horror unless they were written by somebody named King or Hill, right? And they were they were like, oh, it's a psychological thriller, or, it's a you know domestic thriller, or, it's a you know uh, whatever you know sort of code words they used. Um, you know oh it's dark fantasy it's you know this or that you know to, not to say those are real genres but you know they're not they're not horror there's overlap but they are different things and something i've noticed a lot is imprints at big five publishers being way more willing to call books horror when they are horror Um, which I think, you know, everyone started to realize, okay, no, this is real. This, this, you know, horror, um, renaissance that we're finding ourselves in the midst of right now is not going anywhere. You know, this is a, this is a real fan base. This is a bunch of readers who really want to buy books. They're really passionate and they've been, you know, not underserved, but sort of overlooked for years and years and years, uh, up until very recently. And that has been kind of heartening to me, you know, Obviously, Tor Nightfire is. I think it's actually yeah. It's the only imprint right now at a big five publisher that focuses on horror, and mm. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of that in the future. Um, but you know, TBD. The market being what it is, but I'm I'm really glad to see that that continued growth.
0: Yeah, Nightfire is an amazing work. I mean, I I reckon yes. about one in every four books I feature is a Nightfire book,
2: and we are and, thrilled. And why they're all <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um what I love about nightfire and I'm not just blowing smoke here I mean this is it always feels like a sort of indie press embedded within this machine of the yeah. of the, the bigger press behind it and it's got that indie feeling that it has books that are they you know they break the formula they they're not template novels I mean Gretchen Markin's Manhunt mm-hmm. for example you know they these are not books that lend themselves to publication by the big houses but you, you smuggle them away inside <laughs> Nightfire as this kind of you know this kind of offbeat indie enclave w- within the industry um yeah we, I mean without Nightfire I think this show would be a lot a lot sparser so yeah and I, I, I agree with you horror just seems becoming more acceptable we seem to be getting rid of the phrase elevated horror as well more and more people are laughing at that yes. which I enjoy yes. because that was pissing <laughs> me off um but what, what about you Janelle anything this year that's kind of stood out to you
1: i've just noticed that as soon as a book is getting published even before the publishing date that they've already secured some sort of film rights or tv series rights like it's just been happening a lot because i follow all genres as well as horror and i've noticed that it's just it's happening like really quick i think hayley piper's book has already got film rights Mm -hmm. that's not even out till next year
2: yeah that that is something that you know, there, there are scouts who work with film studios and producers and, you know, writers who are looking at this stuff, you know, early, like pre-publication, when, you know, an agent has something out on submission to publishers, they will often also have word out to anyone scouting this stuff for the film industry. And they will sort of, you know, these scouts will report back and go, hey, I think this could have... Potential for film and TV. So I think that with the sort of boom of horror on screen, I think that 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 is informing a lot of what we're seeing people getting, you know, their books optioned, their stories optioned really early on, and I think is great. And, you know, a lot of those don't get made in the end, because Hollywood is as fickle, if not more so, than book publishing. <laughs> but I am really glad that these authors are getting that exposure
1: and getting that, you know, that money, frankly. Yeah, I think it's Netflix and Hulu that kind of are driving it, streaming, you know?
0: I have slight conflicted opinions on this because I obviously I love books and I want all authors to do well and make money. And and I think on one hand it's actually quite sad that so much of an author's revenue does come through adaptation and through film rights because it's a shame that more of it doesn't come from you know the actual book they wrote in the way, you know, the other way it should be um and secondly as much as i don't want to like make them into two siloed industries i am i love movies as well as books and i'm getting a little tired Of every movie needing to have some kind of pre-existing IP, Mm -hmm. because I I want to see as many original horror films as there are original horror novels. I don't want to see endless horror adaptations. Do do you know what I mean? I agree. I just I want (laughs) more. I want yeah, I want more Barbarian. I want more, uh, you know, Smile. And that movie. And I also want books that do get adapted to be credited. M Night Shyamalan. That's another whole yes. issue.
1: Yes, yep. Paul Tremblay, best. Love that book. Yeah, the poster had like the three people that wrote the screenplay on it, but I, when you know when not the book when I saw
2: that that movie had been announced, and this was like earlier this summer, and I I went a little insane for a couple hours, um, <laughs> you know, more so than usual. And I went down the rabbit hole, like IMDB, every like variety deadline, every, you know, bit of coverage I could find going like, I was like, I know that this has to be an adaptation of The Cabin at the End of the World. I yeah. can't find any acknowledgement yes. of it, and then finally, like you know, somewhere buried on the IMDb page was Paul's name, and I was like, okay, I'm not going completely off the rails here, you
1: know.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. But it...
1: there is a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> M Knight did do one tweet about it, yeah. but I think we need more.
0: Well, I've written to M Knight's assistant about trying to get him on my show, which would be great. But I would have to confront him with that question, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I just feel like it's going to be another Joyce Carol Oates moment where I, you know, <laughs> I rescinded the invite to Joyce Carol Oates because I just thought I don't want to have the conversation. That's not why I didn't set this show up to become, you know, some interrogative journalist. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to do it with M Night Shyamalan either. So whilst it would be massively to get him on the show. Do I need the hassle? I, I, I don't know, I don't Neil. Know. I
2: feel like there's a real opportunity for you to be the David Frost of, uh, of horror podcasts. Yeah,
1: it does pertain to horror. So it is like on yeah. point, I think.
0: I, just, I haven't got the diplomacy or the articulation to have those conversations <laughs> at all. I'd be cancelled within like a fortnight. I'd, just say the wrong, I'd lose my temper and say the wrong thing. I guarantee it.
1: <laughs> those movies are good, though. I am very excited to see it.
0: Oh, it looks amazing. But if you're not going to call it Paul Tremblay's Cabinet End of the World, at least don't call it M. Night Shyamalan's Knock on the Cabin. Do you know what I mean? It's like, meet me meet me halfway.
1: Right. <laughs> the book is so, so good, and he deserves all the credit. Yeah. Uh, that,
2: that, that book is in the category of what I think of as soul destroyers. Um, mm-hmm. The books that I, I loved, <laughs> I mean that very much as a compliment, but that really, like, I had to go outside mm-hmm. and, like, sit under a tree for a while after I finished it, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah
0: yeah i agree yeah even knowing paul as i do i couldn't believe he'd done it and he he did it and weirdly i'm going to talk about a book today which equally broke my heart and it's set in a cabin in the woods but we'll get to that in a bit the last thing i want to say before we carry on is that we should mention the passing of peter Straub, mm-hmm. because yeah what a passing it is and, and, and what a life and i you know, one of the most iconic figures in in horror in in my lifetime, definitely. And probably you could argue in the entire 20th century. Mm -hmm. King argues that Ghost Story is the greatest supernatural fiction of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. I think there's a strong case for that. You know, I think there are books that vie with it, but I think there is a strong case that's definitely up there in the very highest echelons. Um, I haven't read as much Straub as I should have, to be honest. I, I've i read all of the King collaborations. I've read Floating Dragon. I've read some of the um, Underwood novels. I never got on with Coco, which is the one that everyone loves that I probably need to go back and reread. But, you know, such a passing. I wonder, have you, have you two had your kind of relationships with, with Straub's fiction?
2: You know, I am uh, very underread when it comes to Straub. I have read Ghost Story, and you know, of course, loved it. It's it's a remarkable book. Um, and I'm, you know, I really do need to to brush up on the rest of his body of work. And his passing was really monumental. I mean, his his influence is, you know, I, I would I used to say, you know, I, it was kind of my go to line is like, oh, here's a list of horror horror authors who aren't named. King or Hill or Straub, right? Or, you know, at, or maybe like Kuntz, right? He was so, you know, he was just like, from the time I started to become aware of horror fiction, it was P- Stephen King and it was Peter Straub. And so I really do need to, I, I really need to rectify my uh, my lack of knowledge in that area. I have one story about him. Um, it's, it's just very brief and, and ultimately inconsequential but i I always think fondly of it um which is that i used to run a website for penguin random house called unbound worlds and it was their science fiction fantasy website every year we ran a bracket tournament of sci-fi fantasy characters in march and um we would have authors come in and write how they thought you know, a a battle to the death between two fictional characters from different, you know, properties would would play out. And it was really fun. It was just sanctioned fan fiction. And then the Mm -hmm. readers would come and they would vote on who progressed to the next round. Um, Really delightful. And we had asked Peter Straub. That's fun. It was. It was called Cage Match. Um, (laughs) We asked Peter Straub one year because he was a double A author, which was part of Penguin Random House. And he sent back this like rather abrupt, but like in retrospect, very charming response, which was, "I find the concept of this distasteful, and I would not like to participate." <laughs> and I thought, hey, "You're a horror writer, man!" Like, <laughs> I, you know, at the time, I was surprised, and then I thought, "Well, that's actually really gentle and kind of sweet." <laughs> um, oh, and I God. thought, you know, I, I know no, I know nothing about the man, like himself, really, you know, beyond. His daughter is a, sort of a beloved fixture of the literary world and a writer in her own right. And she owns a bookstore in Brooklyn called Books Are Magic. That's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she wrote a beautiful uh, sort of elegy for her father on New York magazine after he passed, um, which I can I can link to, Neil, and maybe you can stick that in the show notes. But yeah, he's just he has such a, an outsized shadow in this genre that I think we will be grappling with that loss for a long time.
0: Yeah. Have you read his stuff, Janelle?
1: I've only read Ghost Story and then I've read like the King-Straub collaborations. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have read Emma Straub, actually, and I don't know why I never put that together until he passed away that she was his daughter. <laughs> just Me never either. I about it because the, the, the genres are so different. I didn't, yeah. didn't think about it.
0: <laughs> I actually wrote to Emma after her father's death um, to say... Look, this. I don't want this to be a a sort of cynical thing at all. So you know, I mean, she, she didn't respond. So maybe she's read it and disinclined. But maybe I don't. Maybe she hasn't seen it. I don't know. But I basically wanted to come on the show and just talk about her dad. I thought it might be quite nice for her to do that to an audience who loved him. Um, and also, I would have just loved to know kind of the man behind the pen um so maybe if she sees that one day maybe she I can get on to do that i think it'd be nice but it's difficult in those situations not to look like you're kind of exploiting someone's grief for your own self-interest you know i didn't want to follow up so we'll see what happens but speaking of email from peter straub i've just been opening ransacking my my podcast email account while we you were talking because i came very close to getting peter on the show in the early days mm. of this show we agreed wow. to come on which I think is testament to the man, you know, that I was a nobody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still a nobody, but in his eyes, but then I was really a nobody. And he wrote, I, I basically invited him on to, um, I said, look, you're a, because of your stature, it's got to be a special. I said, so we can either make it a Halloween special or a Christmas special. And he wrote me this email back and we had a long correspondence and I treasure it. And this email is the most Peter Straub thing ever. It's the most ornate prose. (laughs) And I'll I'll just read you one short paragraph. So bear in mind, I, I said to him, you know, Halloween special or Christmas special. And he wrote back with this. As a great procrastinator, I vote for Christmas also because that way work of the kind I do will not just be treated as an eccentric artifact of brief interest towards end of October. The enterprise might even take on a bit of what they call seasonal celebration, which means that I also may be treated as a writer per se, and not merely some kind of ghoulish little treat, like a little caramel coffin.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, I would hang that that's up in my terrific. living room <laughs> in a frame.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just—I was—I mean, sadly, his, his ill health meant that he couldn't come on the show. Obviously, that's absolutely fine. But it was—I I feel like it was a real a real sort of minor tragedy that I didn't get to meet Peter Straub because the man means so much to me
1: but you got that that's pretty special yeah
0: yeah, yeah. and I, I do read it from time to time um but yeah raise a glass to Peter Straub one of the absolute all-time greats mm-hmm. up there with the very best in the business <laughs> Okay. So the the summary of the year behind us, and and that was, you know, there's a lot more to say than than we did say, but, you know, we need to keep the the bulk of this episode for the things that people are really here for are our picks of the year. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through three books that we've selected that, I don't know, that we love the most, that we think are the most noteworthy, that we think really stand out from a stellar crop in 2022. And we're going to tell you basically why we love them and why you should read them. We'll we'll take it in turns and we'll try and keep it relatively brief because otherwise we'll be here until New Year's Eve. But let's let's start with you, Emily. Give us the first. They don't just be in any order. This isn't a ranking thing. Just the first book from 2022 that for some reason you want to talk about.
2: All right. Well, I did do a list for Vulture of the ten best b- horror books of the year. I don't want to, you know, I did. I was mindful as I was putting together my list for today of not, you know, recreating that list exactly. But this there is a little bit of overlap, and and this first book is one. Um, it's Ghost Eaters by Clay McLeod Chapman, uh, which came out from Quirk earlier this year in September. And I, oh God, this is a book about a drug that allows people who take it to see and speak to and interact with the dead which is just an incredible hook but then the book turns into so much more than that um in a way that it didn't really have to you know i think it it would have been a perfectly enjoyable read if it had just been sort of a a, you know a ghost story about this woman and her sort of on again off again lover who dies Uh, by overdose. And she, you know, in her grief takes this drug and sort of tries to figure out what happened, you know, is she really seeing him? Is this, you know, what, what, what is, what is happening here? And that would have been enough, but it turns out to be this beautiful meditation on grief and what grief does to us and how it affects every arena of your life. And, beyond that it's not just personal it also turns into you know the main character starts to become hyper aware of how many ghosts there are just all around her and it brings in the history of I'm of course now I'm I'm drawing a blank I think it's North Carolina um
0: yes Richmond yes
2: okay Richmond fine yeah the uh the history of you know sort of the American South and You know, she's she's working in a building that was sort of like an old factory and was now converted into digital advertising agencies and things like that. And she realizes that she's seeing ghosts of all of the workers who died in a horrific fire. She's seeing American history play out before her eyes. And that element Mm -hmm. of the book really stuck with me. I think now I live in the Northeast, so it's one of the older sort of colonized sections of, of America and i'll i'll be in a space and i'll think oh i wonder what ghosts i would see here you know <laughs> um, and yeah. it helps that clay is <laughs> one of the nicest guys i've ever met he's just a dream just such a nice guy and mm-hmm. i feel like this book has really put him on the map in in a way that you know you like he's he's here now he's planted his flag and this book i think is going to be just the the launching pad for him the cover is awesome too oh it's an incredible cover quirk does really great work with
0: their with their covers yes have you read this one janelle
1: yes i buddy read it with stephanie from books in the freezer and um i loved it like i really loved it i i think it's great i also really like addiction horror so i know that sounds weird but i have a relative <laughs> close to me that was a drug addict. So I kind of like gravitate towards stories like this because I just want to get my heart broken all the time. Mm -hmm. I really loved it. I thought
0: it was beautifully done. Yeah. It is alarming what a nice guy Clay is. I I, I almost Mm -hmm. don't trust him. I think maybe it's all a big Patrick (laughs) Bateman kind of, you know, kind of front. I've spoken to him many times and he's nothing, nothing less than utterly delightful and charming at all times. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, where is this darkness Clay that you can just kind of invoke? (laughs) My favourite thing about that book, and it was in my kind of top books of the year for Esquire as well, um, my favourite thing about it is the fact that the ghosts are so physically kind of disgusting and threatening. Yes. It's mm-hmm. almost in the way that, like, J-horror was in the 90s, where that thing where the ghost in normal ghost stories, they stay a distance away and you mm-hmm. look at them as scary things to look at. And in ghost eaters and in things like, you know, Jew on the Grudge, they, they transgress that space and they come close until they're right in your personal space. And there's something about that that is just so unnerving compared to what we expect from our hints that, um, mm-hmm. that it really works. I thought it was brilliant.
2: Yeah, very in your face yeah. and very, mm. very palpable. I really like this sort of recurring image of the ghost appearing under like a sheet of plastic in this, you know, sort of half constructed house that they find themselves camping out in i thought that was yeah. a nice update to the you know ghost under a sheet uh trope mm-hmm.
0: well i called yes. the episode with um with clay i think it was unhealthy obsessions with plastic tart <laughs> or something like that yeah that
1: was a good episode
0: uh, thank you yeah well that's 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 clay not me i just sit there and he's one, of, he's one of those great guests you just know you're in good hands with clay there's no prep needed just kind of light the blue touch and step away and let him f of s it was uh He's great. He's got an open invite to come back on every single time.
1: It's always nice to hear the backstory of how an author came to write their book. So it was very interesting for me.
0: Mm. And he really opened up as well, didn't he? He really kind of gave quite mm-hmm. an emotional Good. response. I felt like I was getting something that he didn't expect to give. He was, mm-hmm. yeah, he's very generous in that way. I'll go next because I don't want to go last because if I go last, I talk for too long. <laughs> Um and okay. I'm just gonna say that I've got an episode coming out next week, a kind of mini episode that finishes off the year, that is me talking through my ranking of my favourite ten books of the year. Now I've written a version for The Guardian, I've written a version for Esquire, I'm talking about some books I love here, but I don't want to just keep repeating that. So rather than doing my top three books of 2022 necessarily in that order. I'm just going to talk about some books that I love and they may or may not be in the same places next week. Basically that's me ensuring I get an audience next week, <laughs> but, but I'm going to start with the book that I've read most recently and which I have probably, you know, lauded the most of any book I've ever had on this show. And that's a child along with strangers by Phil Fracassi. Mm. Um, People may be rolling their eyes because I've talked a lot about how much I love this book in recent weeks, but it it bears repeating ad nauseum. I've never read Phil's stuff before. I was only really aware of his stuff because Sadie retweeted about Boys in the Valley and Stephen King retweeted it. And we talked about that whole thing on the episode. Boys in Um, the Valley coming
2: from Tor Nightfire next year.
0: Yes, (laughs)
2: so good. I haven't read it (laughs) yet, but
0: I'm, I'm on it because, well, A Child Alone With Strangers... Is one of the greatest horror books I have ever read. Across anything, not just for the show, ever. It's have you two read this book?
2: No, not yet.
0: But you have, have Janelle, right? Yeah.
1: Yes. It's outstanding.
0: So it thank you. And I hope you'll agree. It is the best of your kind of 80s big-hearted that kind of basically that that Stephen King thing where he makes you care about the characters and the characters are not just things to do awful things to they are people who you find out information that you don't need but it but really you do need it you just don't think you do he goes off on like chapter long tangents about things that are not necessary necessary to the plot um but of course they are because they make it all matter um and uh, and he constructs this kind of genre splicing formula that is kind of noir and police procedural and monster movie and creepy kid, sorry, not monster movie, you know, monster story and <laughs> creepy kid story. And the way I would describe it is if you take something like From Dust Till Dawn, the, the Rodriguez movie, which, which smashes together these wildly disparate genres, it does that, but without the flippancy. So there's no cheap jokes. There's no crotch gun appearing. There's no (laughs) Salma Hayek with a snake. (laughs) Everything is heartfelt and meaningful. And there is also, as I've alluded to in the past, and I don't know what you think about this, Janelle, there is one happening late in the story that ranks amongst the most heartbreaking things I have ever read. To the point where I was sitting reading it, the last hundred pages, and I, you know, people have to say, oh, I had to stop reading. I was too nervous. I always think, oh, fuck off. No, you didn't. You <laughs> know, it's book. I literally yeah. had to stop reading. And I thought, this, what is about to happen can't happen, surely. And I became really convinced it wasn't going to. Literally, the next page, this thing happened. And I was just bereft. And I was bereft. This is the last thing I'll say I was bereft to the point where I would happily have had the 10 year old child protagonist of this book shot in the face if it meant that the thing that happened didn't happen
2: <laughs> no that that should go on the next printing of that yes book. that should be i agree that should be, that should be, should be the blurb
0: <laughs> i told phil that and he just went jesus christ <laughs> yeah it's it's an absolute masterpiece hidden within what sounds like a run-of-the-mill pulpy horror novel Mm. is so much more do you do you agree Janelle
1: I do I thought it was phenomenal I think I actually said masterpiece at some point Mm. when I was writing notes it's it's amazing he's such a great writer and the characters like you're just so invested and yeah like you said it's there's that one scene that is just, whoa. He's also yeah. he's someone whose star is very much on the rise right now,
0: which yes. I think is wonderful. Yeah, he's got like four books coming out with something. Never stops.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. I, I actually didn't get one because I thought I already ordered it because I ordered so many of his books like pre-ordered.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, he's got a lot coming out.
0: Right, my, my heartbreak and, and threats to children done for the night. Let's turn to you, Janelle. What's, what's your first pick of the year?
1: Okay, so I picked some hard books to explain for some reason, but I'm going to start with Echo by Thomas Olde Uvelt. I hope I'm saying that right. That was translated from Dutch, came out this year. And I I really love adventure horror. Um, So anything with climbing, mountains, weather, monsters, just anything uh, interests me. So I immediately wanted to read this. Plus, I really loved Hex, his previous novel. Um so let me see if I can explain this. Um, this is a tough
0: one to explain.
1: It is. And I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Um so the the main characters are Nick Grevers and his boyfriend Sam Avery. And it's they're kind of dealing with the aftermath of a climbing accident that happened in the Swiss Alps on a really remote peak. I think it's called Montet. I don't know. Um Nick is a travel journalist and a mountaineer by trade. Mm-hmm. And he was climbing with his partner, Augustine, and there was a terrible accident. He wakes up in the hospital. He's got really severe injuries and he's got bandages all over his face and he's not talking. And his climbing partner, Augustine, is missing. So that's kind of the big hook. And then the really interesting part about it is how Nick and Sam kind of deal with everything going on after this thing happened on this crazy mountain that is dark and disturbing because something really bad happens. Hey, did I get it?
0: <laughs> you did, yeah, that's, that, you, you got it.
1: Okay. I loved how it's like kind of a possession story, but very, mm-hmm. very different, kind of a different take on a possession story. I know, I just really, I love the imagery and there's actually some legitimate scary moments
0: uh, in the book. Th- the, the opening prologue, I mean, you don't. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's an opening. You don't get a closing prologue. The prologue is one of the f- most frightening things I've ever read.
1: Yes, yes.
0: I, I think we could talk about that without. Oh. Sp- that's the way really to spoil spoiler, but there's a scene where someone wakes up in bed and they go to the bathroom and there are like ghosts on the in the hallway on the stairs and they just keep mm-hmm. getting closer. And it, yeah, it's one of the freakiest things I've I've ever read.
2: Hell yeah! Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah no that really that really fucked me up
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure
0: i'll confess something now that i didn't say at the time because i had thomas on the show i didn't finish reading that book it bothered me too much
2: oh wow interesting
0: that's
1: actually a compliment
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There are very few books that I don't read for the show. I, I didn't read any of Gemma Moore's Full Immersion because as I went into, and I won't reiterate because I've explained that in depth on the show, I was in a bad mental state and it was just touching the wrong nerves. But I stopped reading Echo about two-thirds of the way through because I just found it too unsettling. And I can't really articulate why except that, that there's a whole idea in it about vertigo and about the, this feeling of once you start falling, you, you never, you fall forever. And I, I don't know why, but even now, I don't like talking about that. It really got under my skin.
1: Mm-hmm. That's one of the few nightmares I've ever had is just that feeling of falling and and not being able to stop what's going on and just yeah. being totally frightened. Yeah.
0: And in the book, it drives people to suicide, right? They, oh, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a real, it's a real scary premise. It, and it, it, it yeah, it's, an, it's a really odd book. And it has that weird kind of off-kilter European feel. It doesn't feel like it quite fits a british or an american kind of template it's a bit more odd Mm -hmm. um but yeah it it, it really i really didn't i can't really say i enjoyed reading it 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 bothered me that much i get it's great and people love it and it's not a criticism but i didn't enjoy it i found it really unsettling
2: yeah see that's what i kind of mean when i talk about soul destroyers right you know i i I think that's one of those like i am glad i read this enjoyment wouldn't really be the right word (laughs) you know (laughs) um and it's really just like i also love the experience of coming across something that frightens you on on just like a a dna level right and you didn't you didn't expect Mm -hmm. it you had no idea that that was something that was going to affect you that way you know because sometimes you go into it knowing oh this particular thing is a is an easy scare for me you know I'm, I'm particularly sensitive to i don't know let's say animal deaths or you know haunted house stories or whatever mm-hmm. but when you encounter something new that's just like that happens more more and more rarely as you read more and more horror so it feels more valuable when it does happen mm-hmm.
0: yeah been a lot of scary books this year a lot of them um but that i think may be the one that that bothered me the most on a pure plot level that but that, yeah, I'm glad you oh, wow. picked it. I'm glad you Thanks. picked it, you know, because it needs it needs calling out. Um, well, wh- wh- whilst we're with you, let's go with you again, then we'll go in reverse order back up the back up the list. So, do you want to talk through your second pick?
1: Me, okay. Um, so I picked another really hard one to explain, <laughs> <laughs> called "Our Share of Night" by Mariana Enriquez. And it's, it's awesome. It's huge. It's another, it's a doorstopper, but I thought it was really amazing how the construction of it, how she wrote it. It's another translated horror book. Um, I don't know if you've read her, uh, short story collections, but they're very unsettling and uh, all really good. Um, but okay. So let me try and explain this. So Juan's wife had recently passed away and their son, Gaspar, had inherited his mother's uh, family estate in Argentina. So the two kind of take a road trip to go and figure all of this out. Now, Juan has kind of like a unique gift and it's kind of being exploited through this like secret society called the Order. And they're kind of deep within Argentina and they they kind of have influence over politics and things like that. And so she, Enriquez kind of did a a nice play of real horrific things that had happened in Argentina and kind of made it work in this horror story with um, these supernatural elements. And basically, he really just wants to save his son from having to work with the society that he's been trying to get out of for many years but unable to do so um this the book kind of has dual not dual they have uh timelines uh in the 80s 60s and 70s and one of the timelines um is the mother the, the person that passed away and her timeline is is really interesting to read about because it's it's interesting to get her perspective when she's not in the present day so i don't know did that make any sense yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay
0: yeah i mean it's a 700 page book so you're going to struggle to get it into like a paragraph you know (laughs) yeah i i haven't read this one and i've i've got mariana coming on the show next year because it had like a uk release and it's coming out in america north america i think is it next march maybe it is Um, is uh, february it is february February,
2: 7th yeah i actually had it on my most anticipated for next year
1: it's a it's just written so well. I mean, it I I flew through it and I I thought maybe I would just get kind of bored in the middle or something like that, but that just never happened. I thought the secret society thing was really really creepy and interesting and then the whole thing of the the dirty war that happened in Argentina was really interesting where of course I'm going down the Google rabbit hole to learn all about that. And I kind of remembered some some facts about it, but It was kind of interesting to read more um, into that and and learn what she was trying to say.
2: Well, I'm really excited about this one, both because I think she's a fascinating writer. And I also really like when short story writers take a turn for full length fiction and they just write a doorstopper. I love that. Hmm. (laughs) and I also think it's really interesting when a book like this you know that that technically is not out in the U.S. yet has already made kind of a splash you know people know and people are like oh yeah this is this is a big deal um so I'm really hyped to read this one
1: I kind of cheated because I'm like well this is a UK podcast so maybe I can make it work fine (laughs) the the beautiful thing is that there are no rules
0: all right it's my podcast I do what I want you know it's fine (laughs) it's like my my fiefdom i like i say mariana's coming on the show because paul tremblay mentioned this to me as the best horror book he read all year so you're in good company janelle
1: i saw his tweet that's why i immediately looked it up and then i pre-ordered it in the uk and i got a signed copy and i read it immediately so it was all because of paul tremblay
0: (laughs) as most things are this show is because of paul (laughs) tremblay why it exists um i i wrote to her thinking you know she's like a kind of you know, quotation marks. She's a literary author. She's going to just tell me to go away. And she's like, the, just the nicest person. She's like, oh, of course, sure. And it's really cool because I sort of said to her, you know, it's quite an informed podcast. We won't get into, you know, it's we don't just do like the surface level stuff. We could talk about the book. And she wrote back saying, that's great. Just don't ask me any questions about women in goddamn horror. <laughs> I'm like, that's,
2: cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Bless her. Love her even yeah. more. <laughs>
0: yeah. So yeah, so she's going to be on, but I'm glad you say it's a quick read because I only have like a week to read it because I only have a week to read every book and it's a big old book. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's it's a page turner.
1: Well, I read it on my Kindle because I got a, a copy from NetGalley and it went really fast.
0: Good. Good to know. I look I look forward to it very much. It kind of has a vibe of something like Carlos Zafon's, uh, you know, the, the, the Barcelona the Quartet. Something of the Wind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Shadow of the Wind. Yeah. It kind of has oh, a vibe of that, that to me yeah i don't know i mean i don't i haven't read it but you can tell me janelle but that's the kind of vibe i get from it that kind of mid-century weird stuff still going in, 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 a, in, in a latin town
1: yeah i can see that it's it's a little more on the horror side but yeah absolutely mm-hmm. I'm,
0: I'm all in yeah that is a big one to look forward to next year everyone get it on your pre-order list immediately I or if you're in the uk just buy it
1: i highly recommend her short story collections too mm-hmm. um, Things We Lost in the Fire, and my favourite is The Dangers of Smoking in Bed.
0: Yeah, I haven't read either of those, but I hear they're amazing. She's
1: really, really talented. She's just sort of
2: remarkable, and I'm I'm glad to see her star continue to rise too.
1: Yes.
0: The Guardian review in the UK was really scathing, but that doesn't really bother me. I'm still excited about it massively. I think it's one of those things where it's like people went to it expecting it to be some kind of like really, really subtle sort of literary novel and then they got like demons and perhaps it upset them maybe i don't know i'm looking forward to reading it's
1: an it's another amazing cover too yeah like the cover is incredible slightly different for the uk but they're very similar
0: yeah the big claw (laughs) yeah um cool. cool so i'm gonna talk but for my second pick about another doorstopper that came out right at the start of this year. And I remember mentioning it as the book I was most looking forward to in last year's edition of this episode. So, yeah, that's come full circle in a nice way. Um, The book is All the White Spaces by Ali Wilkes. Uh, Show of hands, who's read this one?
1: Me. I've read it and because of you.
0: That's good. That's good. We've all read (laughs) it. Um, It's basically... One of those books that on the surface sounds like, well, Dan Simmons did this with a terror already. What's the point? You couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. Uh, essentially, set in the in the golden age of exploration, just after... Well, no, it's set, set in the very waning days of the age of exploration. Just after the First World War, a British, you know, ex- exploratory vessel sets off for Antarctica with a hodgepodge and miscellany of manhood on board, including Jonathan Morgan, who is a trans man who goes to sea with this sort of rich idealism that he's gleaned from from books and from war propaganda and particularly from his own brothers about heroism and what it is to be a man. And they set sail for Antarctica. And when they get there, they find that it is a place they should not be, (laughs) and there is a a presence on the ice. Now, So far, it sounds like the terror. I do get that, but whilst, I think we can all agree, whilst there are obviously plot similarities, the tone is completely different. And what I would say is it's a book about heroism and adventure and exploration and manly men doing manly things and kind (laughs) of late imperialism, but it's At the same time, as it's authentically about those things and it plays in that tradition, it simultaneously kind of deconstructs and subverts and undermines that tradition. Um, And like I say, you get this kind of spectrum of manhood from this, you know, the the captain and the the head of the expedition is just a complete dick (laughs) through to Jonathan Morgan, who turns out to actually be exactly... The kind of masculinity they need on this expedition, mm-hmm. because he's brave, um, but it's all about the way that the way he sees the world as being governed by a certain kind of manhood actually comes apart, and he realises he, he has to be a different kind of hero, and then all different kinds of queer identity emerge. And what I loved about it, and I think what what Ali does really, really well is, it's a very bleak book about a very bleak part of the world. And horrible things happen, and the hardship, the the human hardship alone is is horror, without whatever the the, the spectre on the ice is. But despite all that bleakness, I find it a strangely heartening book because it what basically happens is in times of absolute crisis, prejudice falls away,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know th- there's um th- these different identities and these different types of masculinity, these different types of queer identity they become less and less important as things get more and more severe. And I think that's a a weirdly heartening story for our times that, you know, when it, when your backs are to the wall, it really doesn't matter who the people around you are, as long as they mean well and have, you know, good hearts. And I, I, I like that. I found a real kind of ember of hope in the middle of a really otherwise drastically bleak story.
2: I think that's that's very insightful. And it's right on the nose is, you know, I, I I went into the book, not that I didn't trust Ali implicitly, but I went into the book a little bit afraid because I feel like we've been conditioned to be okay. Okay, there's a, there's a character who doesn't fit into the society of the time in some way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like narrative, narratively we are conditioned to expect some kind of violence to be visited upon them. So with Jonathan Morgan, I was, you know, I, I was kind of holding my breath the whole time. Like, is he going to be assaulted in some way? Is this going to go just like really mm-hmm. horribly wrong because of, you know, his assigned gender at birth. And it just sidesteps that it, it, it is just not, that is not what the book is about. And I thought that that was, just really refreshing yeah Mm -hmm. and also Mm -hmm. it scared the shit out of me (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah but but to be really clear this isn't some piece of kind of retrospective wokery it's not ali imposing some idealism on a brutal time in history Mm -hmm. these characters and their reactions they do feel authentic to that time you know it's not like she's taken progressive modern ideas on sexuality and gender and gone oh, we'll we'll crowbar this back into the 1910s, which I think would come across, I think that would just just fail. It would come across as an exercise that would piss some people off and leave other people kind of underwhelmed. It's not that. It feels authentic. It feels like even then this is what would have happened had this situation arose. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I, I think what you said about Dan Simmons and how different this book is from The Terror is is right on the money too, because I love, you know, for all of the deeply problematic views that Dan Simmons holds, I really do love the terror. I just think it's wonderful. And this is this is pretty much an object lesson in, you know, people you'll hear people say, like, there are only so many plots in the world, right? and it yeah. it really is an object mm-hmm. lesson in how the execution is everything you know you can have the same bones of a plot and end up with two wildly different books that are both you know wonderful on their own merits but it is just so so different in in tone and vibe and everything from the terror i totally agree
0: mm-hmm. completely you you said you read it because i recommended it you know that's that's a yes. lot of pressure so please tell me you liked it <laughs>
1: Well, I do remember you talking about it briefly, and then you also had her on your show, right?
0: Yeah, she came on and she does a few Patreon things for me because she loves kind of mysteries and people, strange disappearances and stuff like that. So she comes on my Patreon Mm -hmm. and we do kind of episodes about weird, kind of of weird mysteries of of weird parts of the world that kind of sit behind some of the stories we like. So, yeah, she's a friend of the show.
1: I immediately pre-ordered it. I wanted the hardcover, so I waited for the U.S. one to come out and um yeah i well the the premise of it just immediately got me because like you said i love the terror as well but this was definitely a unique book on its own and i really liked the aspect that emily was talking about um how she wrote out the characters i thought it was just i don't know i thought it was just really well done and yes it is it is scary
2: <laughs> yeah the the idea of this you know sort of malignant entity appearing to everyone as, you know, the the people they lost in the war is just sort of a, I mean, it's a great meditation on, on, you know, what we would not have at the time been called PTSD, but it is yet another incredible horror book about grief. Mm -hmm. And
1: atmospheric.
2: (laughs) And I, it's kind of the idea, you know, the idea of the genius loci, the you know, the spirit of the place, right? Except in here, in this book, it's kind of like the demon loci, you know, it's the yeah. the spirit of the place really yes. hates you.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're not supposed to be here at all. And so I think there's one bit where you, cause you don't really see what's going on. You don't really, it's very kind of abstract and diffuse. And then there's one bit at the end where there is like vision. Mm. And I just picture that as like on, on the big screen. I know, I know I said at the start, I want less adaptations, but I can picture that. It's just this, like this painterly epic cosmic scene where just one look back and everything is revealed. And then they, Flee! i just think that that chilled me i think you could just imagine the the grandeur of that oh yeah brilliant book loved it
1: yes imagery
2: is awesome
0: what's next emily for you
2: so for me next up i wanted to talk about a book i actually only read in the last couple of weeks uh which is we are here to hurt each other by paula ashe and this one had kind of like, you know, I, I spend all this time on this on this list every year, right, of everything that's coming out. And I had completely missed this book. It came out back in February and really, you know, only started hearing about it in the last couple months. And it's um, it's a story collection. They're sort of, you know, somewhat linked stories about, I mean, God, all, all manner of things, but <laughs> it's unbelievably gory and unbelievably transgressive and this is sort of an if you like Clive Barker and you if you like Eric Larocca uh-huh. you know this is this is up your alley right this is like every trigger warning known to mankind it is so well written and she just kind of came out of nowhere for me and i was like okay this woman is you know somebody i really need to watch like she is she is on my radar now in a big way you know these stories are. God, the first story in the collection features a boy who peels his own face off. Right, this is this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> is that the cover? Um, no, that's excuse me, that's the man with a face of teeth. <laughs> oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, the cover is gruesome. Oh, it is yeah. very upsetting, and you know, I mean, there's that there's that tweet that goes around like tweet prompt that goes around periodically. That's like what, you know, describe your favorite horror tropes badly. Hmm. And the one that I always think of is teeth where teeth should not be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The cover and, and the book is very much that. Um, And it's really beautiful writing. It's very lyrical. Like she, she is clearly influenced by Barker in, in a way that, you know, she's, She's sat with, you know, the hellbound heart and and digested it and sort of made it her own. But it is very much like it shares a lot of DNA with that sort of transgressive horror. And I think she's just really cool, man. I just I want to see what she does next <laughs> in a big way. Have Have either of you two read this? I'm just
1: adding it to my cart right now so I can buy it. But I haven't oh, read no. it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing.
0: So yeah. I, I haven't read this one, but I've become incredibly aware of it because I had Zinni Rocklin on the show mm-hmm. and she recommended this book and I hadn't heard of it. And now it's like everywhere I look, there is a recommendation for for this book. And I know that Paula is a self-confessed Hellraiser obsessive.
2: Yes. <laughs> so I think
0: you are right on the money with the, um, the Barker. I'm really, really not a fan of Barker's novels. I've never got on board with them. I don't, I can't tell you why, because on paper, well, no, obviously they're on paper, you know, in principle, they are perfect for me, but I don't like them. His short fiction Mm -hmm. is some of my favorite ever written. So if she's, if she's anything like the Books of Blood, it's going to be something I love. I was just going
2: to ask you if you've read those. Yes, (laughs) Mm. this is, this is like, this shares a lot of DNA with Books of Blood. And those are, for for what it's worth, I am I am on the same boat where I like Barker's short fiction way more than his novels. Um, yeah. And this is, you know, it's it's short fiction. It's like it is. It, she kind of like just burst onto the scene with this fully realized like world. And I love I love discovering a new author new new to me anyway who you know has really come through with like a whole ethos.
0: Yeah, I, I read a review of this because um, I'm going to try and get Paula on the show because I, I have to. She's such like a, you know, a big breakout name. But I read a review by somebody who claimed to be a real aficionado of extreme horror. Mm-hmm. But they said that this collection challenged them. And in particular, a story called Bereft. Does that ring a bell to you? It's about two sisters. Yep. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what it's about, but I've I've read so much about that one story, and I'm getting the vibe of you know, like guts from Chuck Palahniuk's Haunted, where it's almost like this this urban legend in and of itself. Book. Yeah, well, it starts to feel yeah. like that. Like this story bereft is the one that's going to wound you. So yeah. I uh, I am intrigued. Um,
1: I am a huge Barker fan, so this is exciting.
2: Yeah, no, I I want you both to read it, and I want you both to let me know what you think as soon as possible.
0: Oh,
1: I'll be messaging you.
0: <laughs> is is it one where we need to perhaps warn? warn people to tread lightly if they have certain yeah. kind of issues or things that, yeah i mean there is yeah, i think okay. there
2: there. if i remember correctly there is a list of content warnings at the beginning of the book um well, that's nice. it is I, I mean basically if you can imagine it it's 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 in there it is uh yeah like it, it's just like decay and like degradation and just sort of like gleefully down in the muck of all the worst parts of humanity but like still has Mm -hmm. that sort of like clarity of vision okay this is this is how humans work right that is what i think all you know good fiction is trying to do i just oh i oh i don't want to spoil it is the thing because the stories took me by surprise so much that i don't Mm want to go into super detail about them but it's it's really like these sort of monumental images of monsters you never really could have conceived of and people doing horrible things to themselves and each other and relationships. I mean, it's, it's, it's a book about relationships in, again, I don't, I, I don't mean to be purposefully vague here, but like, I really don't mm-hmm. want to spoil it for anyone, but yeah, you do need to be prepared going into it. You know, you have to be prepared for extreme horror for sure. Very transgressive, very bloody.
1: Yeah, if it's written well, I am a I'm a fan of extreme horror. Um, like Chris Triana is one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, this is written written exceptionally well. I am excited to read this. Really excited.
0: Yeah, me too. Maybe not at Christmas, but I um, <laughs> I'll get to it. I'll get to it in the new year. Cool. Right. Well, do you want to run us through your last book on your list, Janelle?
1: Oh, um, I picked Mary by nat cassidy mainly because it just kind of stuck with me um i kind of went back and forth on what books to pick and and just ultimately ended up with mary because i think it's a good unique story and i was lucky enough to interview mr cassidy for dark matter magazine so when i asked him to summarize his book um he did it so well that i'm just going to read it (laughs) it's just a tiny paragraph but i think he explains it really well um, Mary Mudgett is a few weeks away from turning fifty, and she's starting to think something is wrong with her. She understands the, you know, the hot flashes, the exhaustion, the mood swings, but she can't account for the voice in her head urging her to do terrible things, or the fact that every time she looks in the mirror or at other women also her age, she sees a decaying corpse. However. Anytime she's able to ask a medical professional about what's happening, it's dismissed. I know we've all been there. Um, Just another part of menopause. Don't worry about it. But when Mary is fired from her job in New York, she ends up going back to a tiny town in Arizona to live with her abusive aunt. And uh, she doesn't really have a memory of her childhood, but she thinks it'll be a good opportunity to kind of connect with her past and, and learn more about what she's been through. Um, But she ends up with hallucinations and urges and voices get stronger and stronger. And Mary realizes her past was never what she thought it was. And yeah, it's, it's really creepy. And I really loved it. One. And one big reason is because Mary, the character is closer to my age, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really could relate to her in that way. And also the whole like, Nobody takes her seriously. I mean, I know that happens a mm. lot when you're trying to get help. And then just the fact that any sort of story where you're kind of where it's it's very psychological and you don't know what's real and what's going on and, and why things are happening to you. I, I always find that very compelling. And it's a huge book actually. It's it's very long. But I, I really loved it. I don't know have you guys read it i know you have emily
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have i think he's i think he's a delight um and i'm i was uh-huh. so surprised by this book and really pleased because you know it's a book about a, a, a menopausal woman and i was like well who's this dude right but he really pulled it off <laughs> right and i was he, really it's so uh, authentic surprised. i'm like
1: how did this happen <laughs>
0: yeah i think nat i mean he's one of my favorite people um like we both were Bruce Springsteen. So, you know, blood brothers to begin with. <laughs> <Enough> um, <said. laughs> I think this book is my argument forever against the kind of militant own voices brigade. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get too kind of, you know, controversial here, but I'm quite conservative in my idea that people should go to write about what the hell they want from whatever mm-hmm. perspective they want. Don't read it mm-hmm. by all means. You know, they can they can flame out if it's terrible, but I have a real issue with people being told they cannot write about things. Um, and I think Nat shows that with the right intentions, anyone can write about anything. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that he himself has more than a little, you know, chagrin about, about his position in relation to this story. I mean, he, he uses his intro talking about that. He actually addresses it in the book. That maybe is in just the, the, the proof I got. Maybe it didn't go to the public. I don't know. But he's very aware that this is dangerous water for a, a white middle-aged man to step into. Um, but he just does it so well and with such compassion that I just think there's no argument that can be made, really. Um, and I also love that it's kind of a bookend to Carrie. You know, you've got... Mm-hmm. You know, Carrie's right. all about one threshold in a woman's life. Mary's about another... And I would say that this is what I would call fun horror, in that it's very horrible. And again, it's an, it's another book with a really corporeal ghost, which is a bit of a, seems there's a bit of a theme this that I hadn't picked up until right now. It's a very so, sort of mm-hmm. fleshy, present ghost in this story. Um, and there's a lot of horror, a lot of quite dark stuff going on. But it's just such a fun sort of throw it all at the wall, see what sticks sort of project. I mean, it's got serial killers it's got ghosts it's got cults i mean that's three things themselves that generally belong in different novels Mm -hmm. and they all come together in this
1: three of my favorite things
0: (laughs) yeah yeah indeed and it's hard to it's hard
2: (laughs) to marry those you know three very disparate sort of types of stories but it's really well executed
0: yeah it is and and you just root for mary because she's just a bad bitch isn't she you know she's just not here (laughs) for your shit at all um (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. it that, that I would have talked about that book if, you, if it wasn't on your list, you know. I just think it's brilliant. It's the kind of horror that we don't get enough of anymore. Just fun, kind of unpretentious, but also substantial. You know, that's what I would say. Yeah, it's got, that, that
2: it's, you know, it, yeah. horror with a sense of fun is like in, in it's not a dying breed. So it's like, it's just harder to find than you might
1: expect. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. And this has got it in spades. I loved it.
1: And I do agree that he executed this really well when it comes to Mary's character. Like, you're like, how do you know about menopause? But hmm. he clearly has done his research and just did it perfectly. I thought. I, I thought he did a good job with that.
0: You know, he started writing the book when he was a kid.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That- like 13 years.
0: Yeah. But I find it really funny that a 13 year old was like, I'm going to write a book about a, you know, a pre-menopausal <laughs> woman." I menopausal woman. That, 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 that requires more investigation, that part. But yeah. it is. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. Thank you for picking <laughs> that one, Janelle. I'm glad we got to talk about it.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: Right. So I'm going to jump in here with a book that, one, I want to put on this list because I think it belongs on this list, but also because I'm going to support this book because it is a, it's an indie book um tyler jones burn the plans full confession i got tyler on the show because i felt like it was my responsibility to host more independent authors more small press authors because now i've got to a point where i've kind of made a bit of a position for myself i no longer have to trade on the names of you know really big big names like i, I don't i no longer need Paul Tremblay or Stephen Graham Jones to get ears on this podcast. So I thought, well, I need to kind of pay it back a little bit, and I sort of cast around for who to get on the show, not expecting much, and that's going to really piss people off. But I've read, I've read a few indie books that have left me kind of underwhelmed with the the rigor and and the, the level of detail and the editing and stuff, and I've been proved very wrong on that score since. Anyway, I'm I'm getting a bit long winded. I got Tyler on the Jones. Tyler on the Jones. (laughs) I got Tyler Jones on the on the show, not knowing what to expect, thinking, "Let's give this a go." And I was blown away, blown away. And I've used this comparison several times. These short stories feel like reading King's Night Shift for the first time. They feel like a kind of imagination in utero, you know, just waiting to kind of just just be born and take over the world like there are so many stories in this they all have sort of different topics different tropes different atmospheres but this consistently amazing kind of management of voice like his his author his his stories feel like they're being told to you by real people and I find it really interesting that the he came from the school of Chuck Parniuk he did he did Chuck's kind of writing masterclass and there is the nihilism there there's the the dark seamy side of life that that Paul New York gives is there in these stories but it's leavened by these by this kind of really warm-hearted kind of you know plain folks storytelling style that really st- is reminiscent of King and also of Michael Marshall Smith and Michael Marshall Smith who's one of my favorite short story writers wrote the foreword to this. And that makes sense because Michael Marshall Smith writes stories that feel like they're being told to you by a guy in a bar at midnight <laughs> and Tyler Jones stories. I mean, I, I think I described them as stories that are feel like you you're you feel like you're being told these stories by a one eyed man with interesting scars in a, in a desert bar, at 3 a.m. or something like that, and that's how they feel. Like these, these hard-worn anecdotes of horror. And there's there's one story in there um, called Trigger, which is kind of like a, a an American Gothic epic in microcosm. And it's it's just a phenomenal piece of storytelling. And I want everyone to go out and buy a copy of Tyler's Burn the Plans because it feels like genius on the cusp of exploding.
2: Well, I've just added it to my list because it, it was on my radar for yeah. this year and I just didn't quite get to it, but I just stuck it in my mm. cart because that is a hell of a sales pitch, Neil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I do go a bit grandiose on these things because I really feel like some of these books, there, there are books being produced, right? I don't. We don't need another fucking celebrity autobiography. I don't care what Elon Musk mm-hmm. is writing. You know, I don't care <laughs> any of that. And there are books that are just going under the radar that are every bit as good as the most heralded genre fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's just luck. It's just luck at this level because Tyler's as good a writer as anybody out there. So, you know, we can make it more than luck. You have a little tiny way. We can inch him towards the success he deserves. So yeah, forgive my probably overly grandiose, rapture but i stand by it
1: (laughs) i am a huge fan of tyler i love his books uh criterium was i think the first one i read Uh and it's one of my favorites uh the dark side of the room is really good also almost ruth is really good and i also really love burn the plans uh, yeah, he's just he's just a really great writer. Um, I I recommend all of his books. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have only yeah, interacted with him on... a bit on Twitter, but he has
2: just been really really lovely. So I'm entirely happy to support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's
1: he's really sweet.
0: I can't go too much into this because it's very personal to him and it's not my story to tell. But he wrote me the most sort of of all the praise I've had for this show, and I think I've had more than I deserve. Tyler wrote me an email. Which, um, which almost brought tears to my eyes. Basically, he's writing, I'm not going to go into detail here, but he's writing a story that is about an issue that is very, very personal to him and very, you know, sensitive and emotional. And it's, it's based on those real circumstances. And he's writing a book about it. And he, he basically reached out to me and said, can you come on the show to talk to me about it? And I thought there's no greater accolade than that, that he wanted to wow. come and talk to me about it. So yeah, Tyler will be back on the show next year um awesome. talking about that. And I'll let him give you the detail when the time is right.
1: Wonderful. I'll be tuning in.
0: <laughs> um over to you, Emily, for the, for your last entry.
2: Oh, it it has been so hard to choose. And uh, you know, I, I had a brainstorm list of books here that I was like, I could I could talk about any of these at length. Uh, but what I, what I ultimately ended up settling on was Just Like Home by Sarah Gailey. And it's really, you know, they just impressed the hell out of me because they started out as, you know, they want to, they want a Hugo for best fan writer, right? Like they just sort of have had this fascinating career path and, you know, wrote these incredibly acclaimed sort of like alternate history, fantastical novellas for tor.com about you know a, a a vision of you know 1800s america where hippos were you know sort of like native mm-hmm. to the landscape <laughs> um and 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 they've genre hopped in a really interesting way um you know there was magic for liars which was this kind of like great like noir magic school mystery and um And then the Echo Wife, which was sort of like a sci-fi thriller, and it's it's almost infuriating that everything they do, they do well, like like just like, (laughs) and they make it look effortless. So I I was like, okay, Sarah Gailey's writing Mm -hmm. a horror novel. I'm I'm super into this, and I was just blown away (laughs) by how much fun this book was. Speaking of of horror with a Mm -hmm. sense of fun, this one. Like there's a real verve to it so the 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 basic plot synopsis is you know uh, a woman finds out that her mother is dying her you know estranged abusive mother and her mother says, look, I, I need you to come back to the house and and sort of get you know the uh, the estate in order as I'm as I'm dying. And the thing is the house is where the main character grew up and it is where her father, Uh, committed some rather gruesome murders (laughs) and you you're you're inside her head and you're you're sort of grappling as she does with her love for her father who you know is uh, I can't remember if he died in prison or if he was just you know in, in prison for life but you know she's she's grappling with her love for her father versus you know her her always strained relationship with her mother And she's also grappling with the fact that there's this parasitic artist in the guest house out back who has moved in to try to make art inspired by her father's murders. And he is just an utter sleaze bag. And one of the most sort of (laughs) deliciously hateable characters I've come across this year. And it's the thing is that the the scenes you know where she's in her bedroom her childhood bedroom alone at night and something is pulling her blankets under the bed as she lies there you know they're pulling the pulling the blankets off of her feet and i'm just i was sitting on the couch huddled up like cl- like tucking the blanket under <laughs> every inch of myself because i was so frightened <laughs> and and i i really can't i i cannot spoil the last act of this book for anyone who hasn't read it, but it is one of the most batshit twists I have ever read and it totally works. They totally pull it off. I enjoyed the hell out of this book.
1: I could listen to you describe a book all day. Oh my god, thank you. That's so kind. (laughs) I'm just like, just totally in it as you're talking about it. Um, It was one of my favorite books of the year too. Actually. It is so fun and so unexpected. Like I really
2: had no idea where it was going. It surprised me entirely.
0: I haven't read this one, and I'm quite I'm quite saddened. Uh, it's one of the few this summer that got away from me. This and and Malaman's Daphne, the 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 two that got away from it. I like Daphne. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Josh is like one of my favorite writers, but I mm-hmm. I I've looked and Sarah, the paperback of um, Sarah's book is coming out next july i think so i'm going to write to them and ask them if they want to come on then to talk about it because i feel like it's one that i can't miss mm-hmm. it sounds too too much of a big deal from this year's horror it's on everyone's best of list yeah and i'm I'm looking forward yeah they to nailed it. it yeah
1: i also really like their um the echo wife a lot and um also upright women wanted Mm -hmm. magic for liars it's really good and now because of you emily i want to read american hippo oh my
2: god they're (laughs) such fun books and and beautifully (laughs) inclusive in a way that you know i think is it can be hard to pull off you know there's a Mm non-binary character in american hippo and it's just like you know this is this is how you do it right you just make it matter of fact it's not a big deal you know People exist in all sorts of ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really not that hard these days. I don't think. I think people are more on board than that, with that than ever. I, that um, even even the pronoun argument, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the argument that people think it is. No. If my eighty-six year old dad can read this stuff and be unchallenged by it once he's worked out the grammatical tense, then I really don't mm-hmm. think anyone else has got a lot to stand on. You know, I, I, I think it's a. An argument that isn't taking place amongst most real readers.
2: Right, it's not, a, it's not a serious argument. Yeah. Like It's not to be taken seriously. It's a, it's, no. I, I will relay a very funny, very quick anecdote which is that my mother uh, read Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin this year, yeah. which I was Love surprised that. about because I was like I just want you to know going in that you know, this is a pretty <laughs> intense book. And she was like, no, it sounds like fun. You've been talking about it a lot. And she... She was entirely unbothered by everything in the book. And she did sort of confess to me, you know, off to one side at one point. She's like, I did have a little trouble with the sex scenes. And I was like, oh no, what does she mean? Like, was she, is she about to say something horrible? And she's like, it just took me a little while to figure out, you know, whose parts were whose <laughs> with the pronouns. And I was like, that's, that's, okay, that's very cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Her
1: mom was cute. Oh my gosh.
0: Bless. Um, they are quite some quite. They're intense sex scenes though in that book yeah i am really. um, i yeah. th- th- they're the most fleshy sex scenes
2: yes I've mm-hmm.
0: read in a long time mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of flesh being manipulated I was like wow this is it's almost like the shunting from society but without <laughs> that w- without the melding you know
2: somewhere yeah, somewhere uh... haley Piper's ear is just pricked up <laughs> she, she yeah. loves she loves yeah. dropping the shunting into twitter <laughs>
0: indeed yeah <laughs> I know
2: um, She's great. You know,
0: you know. <laughs> I've upset Haley recently. By by the time this goes live, she may have forgiven me. But I, I, I basically had a real downer on Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola is Dracula, um, and I, I had to rewatch it for a podcast. And she got she got quite angry at my disdain. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you know, you've you've <laughs> you're not going to make everybody happy all of the time. <laughs>
0: Right, so that's the sort of the big three mentioned, although, as I said, in my case, it may not be the absolute top three, um, but they're three big prominent books from our year of reading. What we're going to do now is the rapid fire round where we each get two minutes to talk about as many books as we want or can that almost kind of made the list. Um, Now, normally, in my megalomaniacal way, I'd be controlling this, but I've just got to open my phone has died, so I can't use a timer. So Emily... Is in charge of this, and she can shut me down <laughs> as and well as and when she sees she sees fit. So, where to start right? Are you ready, Emily?
2: All right, I'll count you in. Three, okay, two, one, go.
0: Uh, first up, very easy, Merit by Nat Cassidy. We've dealt with that; no more needs to be said. Second up, "The Hollow Kind" by Andy Davison, which is the word is lush. It's this lush Southern Gothic which is incredibly dense in its pro style, goes to extreme lengths to kind of orientate you on the map, and frustrated the hell out of me for 100 pages. And after that, I just fell in love with it. And there's one scene of kind of gangland violence in the middle of this book that is the most excited I've been reading genre fiction (laughs) in the entire year. I loved it. House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson is the the gothic, blood-soaked, erotic, almost vampire thriller that everyone needs in their life. It's, it's a kind of second world fantasy novel, which is giving, you know, proof to the idea that I'm wrong about not liking secondary world fantasy. It's about a girl who goes to be a blood maid for the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. So it's obviously rooted in the the real legend of the bloody Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Um, But yeah, it's just so much better than I thought it was going to be. I loved it a great deal. And then I woke up by Malcolm Devlin, the best pseudo zombie novel, inverted zombie novel you'll ever read. I can't say too much without spoiling it, but it's incredibly clever, very thin novella, which is not what you ever expect from a zombie story. It's about misinformation. You need to read it. It will make you think differently about how you use Twitter. (laughs) How long have I got? 30 seconds? 26 seconds. Go. Screams from the Dark by Ellen Datlow. The best anthology of the year. Everyone go and read it. Every story is a banger. They're all about monsters. You can't go wrong. Lastly, The Clackety, This Disappearing House, and Tales Tells Keep, Tales Keep you Up at Night by Laura Senf, Ali Malinenko, and Dan Poblocki. They are three middle grade horror novels that made me cry, made me laugh, and made me almost vomit. They are scarier than most adult fiction, and you should buy them for your kids. And you I'm are done.
2: done. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> right. Well done. <laughs> okay, over to you, Janelle, when you're ready. Take a cool. breath, shake it off. Let Emily restart her stopwatch.
1: All right, three, two, one, go. Okay, there's Loot by Jennifer Thorne, which is, I don't know, it's it's really good. It has a really cool cover. It's Tor Nightfire. Everything, in the interest of saving time, just go look up Tor Nightfire books. <laughs> I, I loved them all. Uh, the Hacienda by Isabel Canyos. Uh Mother Thing by Ainsley Hogarth. I really love Jackal by Aaron E. Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the Dead Moves and Nettle and Bone by T. King Fisher. Sundial and Little Eve by Catriona Ward. Uh, Ghost Eaters. History of Fear by Luke Dumas. Dumas. Uh, also The Hollow Kind by Andy Davidson. The Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias. The Paul Bearers Club by Paul Tremblay, White Horse by Erica T. Worth. I really love Leech. I think it's here in Ennis. Uh, it's a science fiction gross book that has horror in it. It's great. Uh, it Rides a Pale Horse by Andy Marino and Daphne by Josh Mellerman.
2: Nicely done. You came in at under a minute. That's very impressive.
0: <laughs> we, we could all learn a thing or two in the podcasting world from that. <laughs> Right. We're trusting you now to kind of grade yourself, Emily. All
2: right. All right.
0: So I'm going to count in my head. Okay.
2: I'm hitting my timer in three, two, one and go. All right. So my most anticipated uh, this time last year when we recorded this episode was Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Still my favorite book of the year. Just an absolute fucking banger. Wild, transgressive, fucked up, funny, sexy, just a bizarre book, and I fucking love it. Uh, the Hollow Kind, Andy Davidson, to echo both of you. Lush is a great word for it, Neil. I had a great time reading it. Um, and I really will be thinking about some of those, oh, God, the fucking, the hole in the woods and the oh, the roots in the walls for a long time. A Black and Endless Sky by Matt Lyons. You know, full disclosure, Matt's a friend of mine, but I fucking loved this book. It is a road trip thriller with, like, crime elements through, through the American West, brother and sister kind of reconciling. Um, she gets possessed by something and they're being pursued by all these different sort of assailants and through this like wonderful bleak landscape, really great, really fucked up body horror in it. Uh, A history of fear, Luke Dumas. This just came out. It's about the devil in Scotland. Need I say more? Sundial and Little Eve, (laughs) Katrina Ward. Love her so much. These both broke me out of wicked reading slumps. Uh, They are so creepy. Everything she writes is like my favorite thing she's ever written. The Hacienda, Isabel Cañas, really great haunted house uh, story set after the Mexican Revolution um howls from the dark ages which is an anthology published by the howl society uh all medieval horror which is in my opinion there's not enough of in the world really fun diet riot a fatter punk anthology by nico bell and sonora taylor these this is fat inclusive horror short stories i loved it what moves the dead t kingfisher jackal aaron e adams the dark between the trees fiona barnett i know you just had her on the show neil she's fucking great i loved that book and five four three two one and i am done
0: perfect dismount (laughs) thank
1: you okay uh i i meant to say manhunt because that is a really really great book so i just want to like agree with emily on that one and then i also really enjoyed the house society I thought that was a really well done short story collection too. Oh, yeah. So, and because of you, I will buy a black and endless sky because that sounds really good. I'm so glad it's that really does sound wonderful.
0: good. Yeah, they were they were great lists. I quite a lot of cool overlap as well. So I think we are very much in sync this year. Yeah on the yeah. on the books mm-hmm. we've loved. Yeah, that is. Um, I could have gone got on forever, you know. But honestly, of all mm-hmm. the ones I said. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. Not of all ones. They're all great. The Hollow Kind and Screams from the Dark. Screams from the Dark by Ellen Datlow, honestly. Mm-hmm. just Every anthology she brings oh, out these true. days is just back of the net. It's so yeah, good.
1: Right. She doesn't miss. It's yeah. Brilliant. I also meant to say, like, just like home, all the white spaces and a child alone with strangers, but I thought that was implied. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. we got We've those covered. That's <laughs> There's so many good yeah. books. So, so many, many good, good books.
0: books. It's been a good year. <laughs> Okay, so we've spent a lot of time, a lot of time, looking at the uh, the time on the recording, talking about books we've loved in the last 12 months. I think we should probably use this as a chance to talk about books we're looking forward to reading in the next few months to come. Um, are there any that obviously spring to mind for you, Janelle, off the top of your head?
1: <laughs> I have, like, a lot of books I'm really excited <laughs> about. Um, anything Sylvia Marina Garcia comes out with, I'm there for Silver Nitrate. Mm-hmm uh vampires of el norte uh by isabel canya sounds amazing it does yeah piñata coming out with Tornight fire and the spite house um episode 13 craig de Louis. i don't know if i'm saying that right but i really like his books uh lone women by victor lavelle uh house with good bones t kingfisher i will read anything she writes everything darkness eats by eric laraca i love him so much Uh, Recently added a few new ones like Night's Edge by Liz Kieran, The Edge of Mm. Sleep by Jake Emanuel. Really excited about CJ Tudor's The Drift, The Reformatory by Tanner Norebdu, uh, Burn the Negative by Josh Winning, The Handyman Method, Nick Cutter and Andrew Sullivan, A Light Most Hateful, Haley Piper, The Haunting of Alejandro B. Castro, Black Dove, Colin McAdam, The Beast You Are, Paul Tremblay, The Salt Grows Heavy, Cassandra Ka, and Bad Cree, Jessica Johns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh oh uh, looking glass sound cat war. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That is a too many. That's a lot of books <laughs> looking forward to. Yeah. I mean, all of them are on my list <laughs> mm-hmm. of, sort of potential guests. Um Yeah. But, I Your mean, show I,
1: notes are gonna be fun. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, the, that,
0: yeah, I know, I know, that is very true. Um I've got so I I weirdly kind of books I want to read are all guests on the show because I can't, if they're not on the show, I don't have time to read their book. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Grady Hendrix, How to, Sell, How to Sell a Haunted House. I'm sort of kicking off the year in horror with that. Johnny Compton's The Spite House, which sounds like a really quite frightening spin on something like The Shining, but with a lot of kind of racial politics in it. That that sounds, it sounds great, but quite disturbing. Um, Agatha Andrews over on the She Wears Black she wore black podcast um has put me onto that and 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 i said it really did get under her skin so i'm looking forward to that very much victor laval is someone who's been on the like, the hit list for this show since i began Um he's very difficult to track down so i'm really hoping to get in touch with him to talk about lone women because one it's victor freaking laval you know he's Mm -hmm. One of the crown princes of contemporary horror. And also, I love a weird Western. Mm -hmm. I love a Mm -hmm. weird Western. So I can't wait to hopefully, well, definitely read it and hopefully talk about it. Um, Max the III, Abnormal Statistics, which I have a copy of and I'm just convinced it's going to fuck me up. <laughs> I can just oh, tell by the good. way the stories. Yeah. The way they let out the titles, like the experimental, I just know they're going to mess me up. Like there's one story in <laughs> that that I, I can't remember the name of, off the top of my head, but it's, it's set out. It's something like a list of fr- fr- sort of fratricides, no, a, a list of familicides in the United States. And then uh, some dates and it's set out like a Wikipedia deep dive into these weird crimes where entire families are slaughtered. And I presumably you find out what's going on, but I love that kind of experimental stuff and it yeah, it looks freaky as hell. Um and that the other one
1: fantastic mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> The other one to mention, I mean there's a lot of books I'm looking forward to, but um Rachel Eve Moulton's The Insatiable Vault Sisters. Oh.
2: Yeah. I it, I, tr- I I bounced off of Tinfoil Butterfly, if I'm being honest, which I think was an okay. issue with me, not the book. Um, I think I may have just picked oh. it up at the wrong point, but this one does look very interesting. I didn't know it was the same person.
1: I like that book.
0: I, I, I'd never heard of that book until she sent me a copy of it. Um, so I was delighted. Uh, but it sounds like it's one of those things, like quite gothic about something that's happened in the past, but we don't know what it is. Um, about possibly monsters, maybe, or it could be an unreliable narrator. But essentially it's about two sisters and then something happens in their youth that's traumatic and then one leaves and they live on an island and one sister has to go back to the island and the question on the synopsis is why is she suddenly filled with fear about the quarry pond behind the house Mm -hmm. i mean you've got to read that right you've got to read that what's in the quarry pond Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) nothing good (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) they're they're like the ones that come to mind for me immediately but there are there are lots more
1: i read a lot of books like the year before, so I got a little confused, but I don't know how I didn't mention Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham oh, Jones. Because yeah. <laughs> I, am a, he's like my favourite author, so anything he writes on. Therefore, I, and I, I read that I think it's book kind of really taken good. as
0: read that we're all looking forward to that, really. Yes. You know what I mean? I think yeah. It honestly yeah. felt <laughs>
1: strange to be putting together a list
2: of things that I read and loved this year, and not have a Stephen Graham Jones
0: novel to put on the list. Mm-hmm.
1: Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm
0: mean, i quite new to Stephen. I haven't read that much by him. I only started with him, with, with um... Good Indians. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. and so I'm a kind of a noob. Um, and when he came on the show, I was a little bit. I don't get easily intimidated by guests, but he's so cool, right? And he sort of sat there in his wife with his hair slit back, mm-hmm. sort of drawing at me about this stuff. And I'm like, "You're just too cool for this."
2: Yep, I have such a crush. He's, he's so <laughs> handsome and so charming. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that out loud in public, but it's true. I know. It's okay. I'm there too. <laughs> Well, my friend, uh, my friend Kelly, who is the executive editor for Nightfire, um, was the editor on Mongrels when Mongrels came out, Mm -hmm. and I said to her once, "That was my first book." I said, "Kelly, so okay, he's incredibly handsome. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly talented. He's charming." what's the catch like <laughs> did he sell his soul is he secretly an asshole and she was like no dude that's just him he's just the nicest man alive
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not fair well, i
1: want to meet him someday
0: yeah well he's on my show again this year and at this time i'm going to Good. become his friend that's my nice. <laughs> that's my mission
1: Mongrels is is the first book i read um because of audra from uh instagram i swiggy reads um but yeah she i guess she had him as a professor and she recommended that book and i immediately became hooked on him i thought it was really good
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: well lead us through your um anticipated reads emily
2: so this is so hard, you know, I always feel like I have to slash and burn this list and it feels like, you know, picking among like my own like precious children, you know, <laughs> uh, but I've got it down and I'm going to start off with Alice Rumfits Tell Me I'm Worthless um, out in January from Nightfire. I'm I, like the way I feel about Manhunt. I also feel about this book in that I'm like, you're, you're not ready. You're simply not ready. It's brilliant it is it is it's frankly insulting that it's her first novel because it's that good (laughs) Um, and it did come out in 2021 in the uk but it's going to be out january of this coming year in the u.s and it has a great cover really haunting um it's about a haunted house that is haunted by the kind of like the embodiment of british fascism um and the sort of like Brighton queer scene and particular brand of UK turfism and transphobia. Um, it's just, God, it's just a fucking brilliant book. I think they should teach it. You know, it's one of those um, really excited mm-hmm. about bad Cree by Jessica Johns. I have actually already read lone women by Victor Leval, um, because I was excitedly tweeting about it. And the publicity director from the imprint happened to see it and sent me a copy, which, you know, if Twitter ever really does go away, it's interactions like that. I will be really sad to lose. Um, yeah. It's wonderful. It's so fucking weird. It's got this it's populated by this wonderful cast of characters who like I just wanted to spend time with, you know, it was one of those. And there is something so intimidating about, you know, the, the planes, the American West. It's just like, OK, this goes on forever. And that's terrifying sort of in the same way that the the antarctic is in in you know all the white spaces yeah um i'm really excited for more people to read it i think it's just so good and so much fun super fucking excited about camp damascus by chuck tingle chuck the tingle i'm so excited that is a you know his first (laughs) traditionally published book it's his first like full-on horror novel um it is about it is about a conversion camp uh and a group of queer teens who are sent and something is not right at this camp i mean a lot of things are not right at this camp but something is very uh <laughs> particularly and supernaturally not right at this camp um silver nitrate by sylvia moreno garcia i have to i ha- really have to give del rey you know props because they have been killing it with her packages for the books that she's been publishing mm-hmm. mexican gothic velvet was the mm-hmm. night um island of dr moreau uh, sorry, the daughter of Dr. Moreau. And now with Silver Nitrate, I'm like, these covers, man, if I had no idea who she was, I would be slobbering over these in a bookstore. Um, oh, and also this just like, I just went to Mexico City on vacation. So I'm like really primed for for her take on Mexico City in you know various books, but especially this one I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one that I'm actually using to prop up my microphone right now. Uh, that came across my uh, radar when I was starting to put together the 2023 list. It's called uh, Extended Stay by Juan Martinez. Um, it's from the University of Arizona Press, which I was I was not expecting. But this is a uh, a man from Colombia who flees to Las Vegas after you know his family are killed in some sort of political violence. And he's working at this seedy hotel. And it, it's this, it, it promises to be this sort of meditation on the relationship between, you know, uh, Latinx undocumented workers and American capitalism and the way in which tra- people get trapped into that system of sort of, uh, you know, being, being stuck in the margins um our share of night super excited to read it we've already covered it extensively house of cotton by monica Brashier's coming out in april from Flatiron. um all i really know about it is it's a black southern gothic with an exceptional uh cover and i'm really really excited about it and uh, i'm having a tough time with this one but there's a book i really want to mention but it's a harper collins book and in solidarity with the strike i'm not I'm going to talk about it right now, and that's hard because I don't want to, don't want to punish authors for the fuck-ups of management, but uh, how about I talk about that one next year? Let's put a pin in it.
0: Okay, that's okay. fine. I'm very, very, very unaware of this strike thing, and I need to be more aware. It's quite hard over here in the UK, so we're not getting press about it at all. Um, so I need to have a think about that because... <laughs> Coming from, where I, coming from where I come from, picket lines and all that are very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to educate myself on who is who and what is what, and who is being implicated before I yeah. progress. But everyone, please don't take my lack of comment as me not giving a shit. It's just, I don't know enough. No, you know it's, I mean? it's tough when, when you're conflict. in another
2: country and, and this is something yeah. that's near and dear to my heart because I worked at Harper Collins. I was fucking broke when I, I worked at Harper Collins and it is the only unionized uh, big five publisher and those unionized workers have been working without a contract for almost a full year now and management mm-hmm. has not taken them seriously in any way, shape or form. They're attempting to hire temp workers to come in as scabs and the strikers have been, I think it's a full month now without any movement or even real communication from HarperCollins management. So I highly recommend taking a look at the HarperCollins Union social media accounts. They have some very clear messaging on what they're asking from authors, reviewers, readers uh, in terms of how to support them. And solidarity is all I can really say.
0: That is useful. I would I would definitely do that because it's quite heartening at the minute. The UK is being just shut down by strikes in all its various services um, and our you know what? I don't care anymore. I would just set a cabal of evil bastards in our government. <laughs> Do, they, they have clearly gone into this expecting the country to be in uproar because it's Christmas and people can't get their mail and they can't get on trains. And I think they were expecting us to all turn on these striking workers. And it has been remarkable how little blowback there has been. Mm-hmm. So this solidarity that I just thought would not exist anymore in our post-capitalist, post-capitalist world. Very much still alive, and it, it is quite heartening, even though things have to be tough to expose it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But enough politics, yeah. it's Christmas. Um, <laughs> let us, th- th- we've all talked about a lot of great books. I am going to very briefly, as a treat for people who've listened this far, I am going to tell you all the authors that have been confirmed for the show in the first few weeks of next year because I'm quite excited Ooh. about it. There's a bit of a sting in the tail of this one, which let's hope it comes off. So I'm starting off with Stephen Markley. Who's written a book that isn't horror? (laughs) It's a book called The Deluge and it's 900 pages long and it's about the climate crisis. So I think that constitutes horror regardless of what part of the bookshelf it's put on. Absolutely. Um, Stephen King called it exhilarating and terrifying and a modern day masterpiece. Mm. Again, that's good enough for me. (laughs) Um, It looks like a real, real epic thing. Um And I can't wait to talk to him about that. Then I've got Grady Hendrix, Trying to Sell a Haunted House, followed by CJ Tudor and The Drift, followed by Stephen Graham Jones and Don't Fear the Reaper, followed by Mariana Enriquez and um, Our Share of Night. How is that for a, a, a sequence of guests? Wow. Johnny Compton and the Spite House, followed by, well, you know what, Emily, the book that you didn't mention, I won't mention it either, but that is Following.
2: <laughs> Understood.
0: <laughs> then we have got hopefully fingers crossed if I can make it happen, Margaret Atwood.
1: Oh shit! <gasps> no! She's my favorite. Hell yes. As in Stephen King. Yes, yeah. I've seen her speak. She is a delight. I have I, I met <laughs> yeah. her once and
2: she is possibly the most terrifying person I've ever been in the presence of yeah. physically and
1: it I, it was amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah she's well
1: she's absolutely incredible i will be so jealous when well, you talk to her
0: for reasons but better known by way. somebody else margaret atwood follows me on twitter oh, um yes. and i can't believe we, it. We, we we've had a bit of a chat about this and she's quite keen to come on it's just whether or not we can make it happen with a publicity schedule so
1: you and sadie man i i'm like i feel like i know stephen king and margaret atwood now.
0: <laughs> oh well one, one day i will get king and i will simply go into the west um but yeah, that is, that's my run in for 2023. And I'm, I'm quite proud of it. And I'm very excited about it.
2: That's an amazing lineup. You should be it's proud.
1: incredible lineup.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Can I yell w- really quickly about one book that I totally glitched on adding for next year? Um, yeah. M- Mave Fly by CJ Lead. This is another oh. another Nightfire title. This is sort of a contemporary answer to american psycho but set in la and it's a woman who is by day she plays a uh, let's call her an ice princess at a big <laughs> uh amusement park with you know a lot of media uh, movie and tv tie-ins um certainly not any uh big corporations anyone would recognize of course this is this is fiction um, It is intensely fucked up. It is so, so gory and just like full of, she meets this guy and she thinks she hates, hates him at first. And he turns into, he turns out to be maybe more in line with her, uh, disdain for oh i don't know human life than uh she expected and it's just a really fun read i read it in a day and i'm really excited for people to see it to to get their hands on it you had me at american psychos yes. <laughs> <laughs> i i don't i, I don't 100 know if i'm supposed to share this story but uh they did actually reach out to brett Easton ellis for a blurb and uh, I believe his response was, fuck no. <laughs> and there was some discussion of, well, can we just put nice. that on
1: the book? <laughs> that would be amazing. I would love that.
2: I once um, went on something of a rant about what a dick he is as a person and i feel pretty comfortable <laughs> saying that because he is yeah. um and <laughs> i had no idea and uh the person i was talking to walked away and the person who was standing next to me went you know that was his editor right <laughs> i was like oh fuck oh.
0: you can no but... i'm sorry you cannot convince me that british's <laughs> editor doesn't think he's a dick
2: oh he uh knew he a hundred percent knew <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah for sure I'm I'm also excited about Camp Damascus yes. and uh, House of Cotton. I forgot about those. Those those both sound really good.
0: I hadn't heard of House of Cotton, but Camp Damascus very much. So yeah, I uh, oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to reach mm-hmm. out to Chuck about that.
2: Love, love is real, baby.
0: We've talked for the best part of two hours, so we need to wrap this up quick because we are really presuming on the the indulgence of people who've eaten far too much turkey at this time of year. Um, so. <laughs> I'm going to sign off with a very simple question for both of you. What is your great big horror resolution for 2023?
1: Okay. So I just want to take on more freelance work. I I want to start to go back into writing more book reviews and I would love to get on a platform where I can uh, recommend books like with listicles and things like that. Um, Best of lists. That would be my dream. And obviously read more books. It was actually a slow reading year for me. I had some issues and couldn't uh, concentrate on books for a couple months. So I actually just want to read more books and then um, maybe write for Rue Morgue or Angoria someday. (laughs) Pipe dream.
2: Hey, if you will it, it is no dream, right? (laughs) What about you, Emily? So I'm, you know, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing uh, a little bit of nothing. Um, that said, I'm really excited to keep writing for Vulture, keep covering horror and fantasy for them. Uh, get back to writing for Tor.com. I didn't do much of that this year after uh, recapping The Witcher season two for them last year. Um And start working in earnest on my own fiction, which has been, uh, you know, sort of, oh, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And now it's like, no, I I really I really do need to do that. Um, Keep going with the 2023 list uh, and resurrect my uh, semi undead newsletter.
0: They are all noble resolutions, guys, and I think you can definitely do them all. Definitely. This is going to be our year, people, our year. (laughs) <laughs> my my aim is to kind of to get back to writing. Obviously, we all say that, don't we? But I want to basically get back in earnest and make sure I spend at least at least two days a week focusing on my own writing. Um, I'm going to be curating horror content for Esquire next That's year. That's great. So I want to. I love that. Yeah, I want to make that into a thing uh, because, well, it's writing about horror for Esquire. Of course, I want to make it a thing. And lastly, I, <laughs> I want to pace myself more. I want to take a slightly more laid back approach to this podcast without lessening the quality and um, and hopefully not flame out sometime around August when I just can't cope anymore like I, like I almost did this year. And listeners who listened to last week's episode when when Josh and Rachel interviewed me will have already heard my putative plans to maybe launch a second podcast talking to... <laughs> mainstream authors or, or at least authors who aren't necessarily in, in one single genre so depending on what the response is to that i may i may look into to kind of taking that challenge on but but we'll see
2: you're you're insane and it, it inspires me
1: <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> um i i just want to say that i am like talking scared is my favorite horror podcast because I really enjoy your in-depth interviews. And I think you ask really unique, interesting questions. It's not just the same, you know, regurgitated stuff over and over that you kind of can, can hear or get into. I I just, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just, I'm a huge fan. So I, anything you want to do with adding another podcast, any of that, I am here
0: for it. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. A, a, a less egocentric man would edit that out. If A, a, classy, a classy guy would edit that out and just let <laughs> it lie. But I'll, I'm going to let that stay in. Um, everyone, if you do like this show, I've been nominated for a This Is Horror Awards uh, for nonfiction podcast of the year. So if you go to This Is Horror, the website or the social media channels, whatever, and vote in that, you're doing me a solid and I appreciate it massively. But I think the time has come now to let, let's let all get back to our post-Christmas sofa toadish behaviour. Um, Janelle, Emily, the happiest of, of festive periods, happy new year, and thank you so much for talking scared.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I, I had a great time.
0: <laughs> See you later. Well I enjoyed that immensely, but if you've been listening this long, by now you must be ready for me to stop talking, so let me be quick. First off, I hope you all had a lovely Christmas, nice gifts, nice food, time with loved ones and time alone to read, crucially. But if you didn't have a great few days, because let's face it, this can be a hard time of year, well first of all, I truly believe that the future will be brighter for all of us next year. And if you're listening to this show, then know you're already part of a community and amongst friends. And as I always try and say at at this time of year, my DMs are wide open for anyone who needs a voice, a shoulder, someone to talk to, a joke, whatever. I can't promise to respond immediately. I can't even promise to be of any use. But I am a pair of ears if you need. Because what's the point of horror with heart if... We who love horror aren't open-hearted. That's my take. So if you need, get in touch. Back to books. Every title we mentioned is listed in the show notes, along with links to episodes if the book in question was featured on the show previously. And if you're one of those people like me who loves a reading challenge, then the list that we curated here is probably enough to fill a year or maybe two, unless you read like Janelle, in which case it'll be enough to fill like a month. Speaking of Janelle, she asked me to add another recommendation that she forgot. Yes, another one. Rachel Harrison's Such Sharp Teeth, and I'm happy to comply because that book is a banger. It's an absolute riot, and it has the best, quotation marks, messy lead character of the year. It's great fun with some quality body horror, and... What could be more festive? There are plenty of books that I forgot to mention. Um, The one I will just say here is Reluctant Immortals by Gwendolyn Keist. It's such a great revisionist take on Dracula and Jane Eyre and some other gothic classics. It's one of the best of the year. Speaking of which, I will be back in a few days with my full top 10 rundown of my favourite books from 2022. Now, I know I've kind of... I've done this in various guises, but this isn't just me flogging a dead pony. The list may still surprise you, annoy you, hopefully delight you. Either way, if you want, we can have a big old Twitter chinwag about it on a hungover New Year's Day. I'd love to know what you listeners think about anything and everything covered in this episode. In particular, are there any of the books that we picked that you also loved? More importantly, I suppose, what did we miss or, or get wrong? Let's not fight about it, but let me know in all the usual places. Talk Scared Pod on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, or an email to Talkingscaredpod at gmail.com. Oh, and if you get chance, if you could vote for Talking Scared in the This Is Horror Awards, then I'd really appreciate it. The link to that is in the show notes, or just go to thisishorror.co.uk slash awards. It's quite a big deal for me to be nominated, and, and your vote could make all the difference, so thank you in advance. I was glad to see that so many of you downloaded and seemed to enjoy the History of Gothic episode with Professor Luckhurst a few weeks back. As mentioned, that was originally a Patreon episode, and there are loads more deep dives like that. ...on Patreon with other scholars and experts... ...plus more chat from all the guests... ...and you can sign up if you want to... ...at patreon.com slash talking scared pod... ...and well, I'd be very grateful if you did... ...but no pressure, Talking Scared will always be here... ...free to a good home. So let's check back in on New Year's Eve... ...for that top 10 rundown... ...but until then, play with your new toys... ...sleep it all off on the couch and enjoy the rest of this mother of a year. Read good books, and remember, it's good to be scared.